Hello and welcome to the podcast Where Did the Rabbit Go? In this weekly podcast, we celebrate curiosity, critical thinking, and evidence based skepticism. I'm your host, Marco, and this is show 66 for Thursday, April 29th, 2021. How are you doing today? I hope you're doing fine. Just hang in there. The end of the tunnel is near. Winter is finally over, even in Europe and in Canada. It should finally not be snowing anymore. I mean, it was a long winter in some places. Canada just had snow last week, I think. But now it's finally time to enjoy the good summer weather. Shorts and t-shirts, cold drinks and ice cream. And we can all enjoy all of these things, even if we're still in our houses due to the pandemic. But I have to figure out when and where and how to record. Last summer I had a lousy mic, but now I have my microphone which gives me good sound quality, but it picks up everything. And it's constantly hot and humid now, which makes it hard to be in one of my upstairs rooms without a fan being turned on all the time, even during the morning hours. And that's what I'm currently doing. I'm in my son's room, and for the recording time, I turned off the fan and I am pushing through. It's probably not helpful that I'm drinking hot coffee. Maybe I have to do as Richard Saunders from the Skeptic Zone does and get up to record at 4 a.m. I think he does so because he lives close to the airport. Speaking of the pandemic, I have big news. I have my date for the vaccine and it's already next week. That's right, I'm getting the COVID vaccine. This is the last episode that you shall get from an unvaccinated Marco. It's one of those vaccines that are one dose only. So that is good news, but it also has some weird taste to it. Let me explain. Mexico has decided to push all educators to the front of the line because they see it as urgent to reopen schools. Can't argue with that. They are right. I agree. Nothing can replace classes in person. So there's a massive vaccination campaign for teachers right now. However, the timing is a little weird. We're not in green light yet. It's still all the indicators are in yellow, at least in my state. And it looks like the plan is to get us back into school for June 1st. That's really just to take the final exams in person, isn't it? The school year is pretty much over by then, so it doesn't really make much sense. But, and here comes the conspiracy theory, <clears throat> there are elections on June 6th. Hmm, I wonder if those events are connected. Anyway, it is a good thing that we're getting vaccinated, for sure. Just, students will still not be vaccinated. So I personally do not think that we shall see a classroom from the inside during this school year. Maybe for the new school year, which will start the end of August. That is more realistic. And also keep in mind, we just got pushed to the front of the line, but the line as such is still advancing very slowly. However, if you get the chance and it is your turn to be vaccinated, please don't hesitate, no matter which vaccine it is. Don't let yourself get fooled by what sounds like a low efficiency rate, like 70%. That's also the efficiency of the seasonal flu shot. It is very important that you do get vaccinated. It's important for yourself and for all the people that might get in contact with you. 
The question whether you should get the vaccine really is a very simple one to answer. It's a no-brainer if you wish. Do it. It is a responsibility that we all have. Dear Rabbits, to be honest, for this week, I was in a little bit of a creative crisis. I had no idea what to talk about, no interview scheduled, and nothing big was on social media or in the news to talk about. So I even asked the people on my Instagram, what should I talk about? And I did get three very good suggestions. The first one asked about aliens. Sounds like a good topic. But if you're interested in that topic, I think episodes 35, 10, and also 6 are just for you. Check them out. Another suggestion was to talk about ancient civilizations. That's also a good one. And it even sounds like it has the potential to make a whole series. Finally, the third suggestion was to talk about climate change. It's a very important topic, and I think it sounds like a good plan. I will put it on my list for next week's episode. For this week, I finally decided to go just with something that is close to home for me. Something that I don't have to read much about, because I'm already familiar with the topic. And it turns out that this week we just had a so-called pink moon. A full supermoon. When the full moon just happens when the moon is at its closest point to Earth on its orbit. That's exciting, sure. So the full moon just looked a few percent bigger in the night sky. So I decided to talk about something moon-related, which I think is a fascinating topic, the tidal forces. And I think I have already talked for long enough pre-show, so let us jump into this week's rabbit hole now. I'm sure that you all heard about tidal forces, if you have ever been at the beach. At least in Germany, where we have beaches in the north, we all learn about this as children. And it's very notorious in Germany's North Sea. Tidal forces are responsible for the ocean water coming and going about twice per day. In the North Sea, during a low tide, the water is completely gone, and you can even take a walk to the islands that are about 5 kilometers off the coast. It's actually a great tourist attraction. You should all do it. So we all learn very early that the moon is responsible for this. We are told that the moon pulls on the water. And twice per day, that means that the water leaves and comes back. Twice per day, we get a low tide. And twice per day, we get a high tide. It is true, tidal forces are an effect of the gravitational pull of one object on another. But let us focus on the Earth and Moon system for now. The Moon's gravitational pull is the strongest on that side of the Earth which faces the Moon. Therefore, the water is attracted to that part of the Earth. But also, the gravitational pull of the Moon is the weakest on the opposite side of the Earth. So on the opposite side, we also get a high tide in the same time because the water is not being pulled away from there. The low tides are the two 90-degree angles, so the Earth has two bulges on opposite sides of each other with high tides, and between them are the two low tides. And this changes nearly twice per day, because the Moon takes a little over 24 hours to come back to the same place in the sky, due to its orbit 
and to Earth's rotation. To be precise, it's around 24 hours and 45 minutes. So every day, the tides happen about 45 minutes later than the previous day. It is important to know the times of the tides, because when the water gets pulled out, that can also be dangerous for people swimming in the ocean, or for fishing boats. And when there is no water, but it's coming back, it's also important to know that you should get back to the shore as soon as possible. Now, tidal forces happen between any two objects. So, also the Sun exerts tidal forces on the Earth. Given the combination of the Sun's mass and distance to us, those are the two variables that matter for gravitational force, its tidal forces are about one-third of the Moon's tidal forces here on Earth. But depending on the relative positions of Sun and Moon in the sky, their tidal forces can combine or work against each other. When the Sun, Earth and Moon are in line, we get what is called spring tides. This happens twice in one month, during a full moon and during a new moon. During a full moon, it is the Earth that's in the center of this lineup, and in a new moon, it's the moon that's in the center. On these occasions, the sun's tidal force adds to the moon's, and we get the strongest sea level changes. Seven days after a spring tide, when the sun and moon are at a right angle, and we have a waxing or waning crescent of 50%, half a moon, we get what is called a neap tide. The sun's tidal force works against the moons, they subtract, and the sea level changes are the weakest of the month. If the tidal forces work between any two bodies due to gravity, of course it also works the other way around. The earth also exerts tidal forces on the moon and the sun. But how? if there's no water on the moon. You see, the thing is, tidal forces don't only work on water, but also on the rock. In fact, during a cycle, the moon's tidal forces can lift the Earth's rock up to 30 centimeters. Of course, stretched over half a day of time, it happens very gradually and slowly, so we don't really notice. And the same happens on the moon because of Earth's pull. Just as I explained before, there are going to be two bulges. One is facing towards the Earth and the other one is facing away for the high tides. And the two low tides are at the 90 degree angles in between. Since these two bulges always move around the planet or the Moon, that creates friction. And the force of friction, at least my students learn all of this with me in 8th grade, turns kinetic energy into thermal energy. Or in other words, friction turns motion into heat. And this has two effects. First of all, it heats up the planet, or the moon. And this can have strong effects. Jupiter's moon Io, for example, is experiencing tidal forces that are so strong that the heat that builds up makes Io the volcanically most active place in the solar system. Earth's volcanoes are nothing in comparison to Io. The second effect is the other part of the equation. Energy cannot be created or destroyed, so the heat is created at the expense of speed, of motion. The rotation of the involved bodies slowly has to decrease. For our Earth and Moon system, this means that Earth and Moon have been rotating faster in the past, and their rotation is slowing down as time passes. This goes for both the Earth and the Moon. 
the Earth days are getting longer as an effect of the tidal forces. How cool is that? In the Jurassic time period, a day was just around 23 hours long. And in millions of years, in the future, it's going to be closer to 25 hours. It's a slow but gradual process. The moon has also slowed down its rotation to a point when it found a nice equilibrium point. As you might know, the moon's rotation and revolution take the same time. It spins around its own axis in the same time as it orbits the Earth. In consequence, we always see the same side of the moon, and we never see the backside. And we wrongfully call that the dark side of the moon. But the right term would be the far side of the moon. During a new moon, that far side is fully lit with sunlight. Anyway, this condition of always showing the same side to the Earth is called a tidal lock. The moon is tidally locked to the Earth, and it will stay like this for the rest of its existence. Given enough time, the Earth could also become tidally locked to the moon. In that case, we would always have the moon in the sky in one part of the world and never see it in the sky of the other part. The moon would never rise or sink anywhere. But this is likely not going to happen, because it will take so much time that before this can even occur, the sun's death will likely cause a very different fate to our planet. The slowing of the rotation yet triggers another effect, another conservation law. Due to the conservation of angular momentum, if the rotation of the Earth or moon is slowing down, that means that they have to increase their distance. Think of it kind of like an ice skater. Have you seen it when they make their pirouettes, when they spin? In order to spin faster, they pull their arms in towards their body. And they spread their arms in order to slow down. In the same way as the Earth-Moon system slows down, it is spreading out. Currently, the distance between Earth and Moon increases about 4 centimeters per year. Let's go back to the idea of being tidally locked. The system of Pluto and Charon is mutually tidally locked. That means both of them always face each other with the same side. On Pluto, Charon never sets or rises, and vice versa. Just like on the Moon, the Earth never sets or rises. It is all geometry, and it's a great exercise for your mind to change the perspective, to try and turn things around. The fact that we always see the same part of the moon means for the moon that in those places, the Earth is always up in the sky. And on the opposite side, the Earth can never be seen, on the far side of the moon. And of course, the Earth just goes through its bright and dark phases, depending on where the sun is, just like here, we observe phases of the moon. So what if a planet is tidally locked to the star? Does that happen? It has not happened in our solar system. But we have found exoplanets that are tidally locked to their host star, especially those planets that are orbiting very closely. In that case, half of the planet is always being baked by its sun, and the other half is always facing the cold, dark outer space doesn't sound habitable. No conditions for liquid water on either side of the planet. Well, that's true. But maybe on the thin line between day and night, the so-called terminator, where the sun is just at the horizon, 
temperatures might be right to allow for liquid water. As you can see, tidal forces and tidal locks are a fascinating topic once you wrap your mind around them. Of course, if you want to learn more about this topic, I recommend looking for visual material that a podcast cannot really provide. Look for YouTube channels or check out Fraser Kane's website Universe Today. Remember I shared some clips from a conversation with him on episode 45 and on the year-end special number 2. And Fraser really knows what he is talking about. Also, once again, I highly recommend his podcast, Astronomy Cast, that he hosts weekly together with Dr. Pamela Gay. And I'm sure that somewhere in their 599 episodes, there are some about tidal forces, and that back then I listened to them. So next up for them is episode 600. I wonder if and when I will ever get there. Anyway, this was the main segment for this week. Let us now close the show playing another game of Find the Fake. Here it goes. Once again, I picked three news items, science news items, and I turned one of them into a fake. And I'm challenging you to play along and to guess or to figure out which one is the fake. Here it goes. Item number one. Stars made of antimatter could lurk in the Milky Way. Item number two. New data about the Martian crust rules out the possibility of life. And item number three, gardening can expend similar amounts of energy to a session at the gym. You may pause if you want to play along as we now are going to reveal these items. So stars made of antimatter could lurk in the Milky Way. You believe it? This one is true. I got this from Science News written by Maria Temming just uh, yesterday as I'm recording. So Monday, April 26th. Stars made of antimatter could lurk in the Milky Way. If true, the preliminary find might mean some antimatter survived to the present day. So, remember that matter and antimatter were created in the Big Bang, and most of this annihilated itself. So, there was a slightly imbalance in the amount of matter and antimatter. So, whenever a matter and an antimatter particle collided, they would annihilate each other into pure energy. But a little bit of matter survived because there was a little excess matter. There was like one extra particle per billion particles of matter. So antimatter is highly unstable in our universe. If it exists, any collision with a matter particle would annihilate it. But yeah, so there are these anti-star candidates that seem to give off the kind of gamma rays that are produced when antimatter meets normal matter. So exactly this energy burst when the two particles meet. Matter and antimatter are the same in any aspect, just they have opposite charges. So they will attract each other and annihilate in this gamma ray burst. So that's an exciting news item. Let's go on with number two. Uh, new data about the Martian crust rules out the possibility of life. Do you believe this one? This one is the fake. Published on Science News 
Uh, the source is the Brown University, published on April 22nd. And it's the opposite. Mars has right ingredients for present-day microbial life beneath its surface. So they looked at the crust and they found that it could produce the same kind of chemical energy that supports microbial life deep beneath Earth's surface. Isn't that cool? So life is not ruled out. That doesn't mean that alien life exists there on Mars, but it means that the ingredients are there. So we still should keep looking. That's why we're sending these expensive missions to Mars whenever there's a chance. This, of course, means item number three. Gardening can expend similar amounts of energy to a session at the gym. This one is true. Found this on BBC's Science Focus also yesterday, April 26th, uh, written by Sarah Rigby, PA in Science. And uh, it says gardening just twice a week improves well-being and relieves stress. And yes, that it expends similar amounts of energy as a session at the gym. That's what researchers say. When gardening, our brains are pleasantly distracted by nature around us. This shifts our focus away from ourselves and our stresses, thereby restoring our minds and reducing negative feelings. Maybe I should stop listening to music or podcasts when I'm walking in the park. Well, but definitely we should not stop listening to podcasts at all, right? So how did you do this week? Did you sniff out the fake or was I able to fool you? Please let me know. I want to know how you are holding up. All right. So we're getting to the end of the episode. Um, just one more little bit of personal news. Um, I broke my fidget cube months ago. And um, yeah, this fidget cube has saved me through so many meetings where I just couldn't sit still and I had to fidget. Um, so I finally ordered a new one. This is not a cube. This is a dodecahedra so it has 12 pentagonal sides and there are toys like this little um, switch you can hear it yeah buttons to push um, wheels to turn yeah uh, sliders to move even a little surface that gives your finger a massage um i can just highly recommend these things they are inexpensive and um they really save you when you're getting all fidgety and jumpy and you have to sit still. Definitely worth investing a little bit. And also for teachers to have these in your classroom, for students who are getting fidgety. All right, dear rabbits, this is all for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for taking your time and listening. If you like the show and you want to support me, there are easy and painless ways which are all for free. Rate and review the show on iTunes and Spotify. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcatching platform. Share it with your friends on your social media. Follow me on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok. You can find all the links in the show notes. Every little bit helps. If you want to be on the show or you know somebody that you'd like to be a guest, please drop me a note on social media. Stay safe and stay curious. And until next Thursday with the vaccine, I am Marco and this has been Where Did the Rabbit Go? Bye.